HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are over the moon to be sitting down with Darina Garland, co-founder and co-CEO of Uni. We have a great conversation about what she likes cooking during the summer, why she keeps a garden and everywhere she's lived, what she likes to listen to when she's around the oven, and how the future of Uni is being shaped with an eye on environmentalism. And then we dig into the archives from a classic performance from Prima, who's a rock project from Brooklyn-based singer-songwriter Rose Blanche. She played for us back in 2017 with her debut EP called Performance and is one of our favorites for the summertime. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network. to say I wouldn't wish it upon a soul But some of us have earned a little more Cosmic judgment or whatever you call it
Dorina, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I have to say, I think you are our first guest direct from Scotland. So thank you for nice for, for adding another flag to our international uh, chart of people. Oh, thanks for having me. That's great. Yeah, representing. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, huge fan of of you guys and Uni and and um, thankful enough to have gotten an oven from you guys this this summer and been cooking and. You know, reading all about your story and I read the cookbook and everything, it really seems that like family and community are at the center of your business and your life. How much do yeah. those two tenants drive what you do? Oh, yeah, that's, I guess it's really great that's come across as absolutely central. You're right. Um, prior to starting uni, Christian and I, my husband and I, mm-hmm. we worked in education and our whole kind of raison d'etre the focus of our work was to try and bring all stakeholders together to transform learning communities and so you know often at like an education conference you might get like the same great teacher on the stage or principal teacher and then but no parents and no like I don't know tech games companies or like um, NGOs or governments like so bringing people together and getting that really multi-stakeholder approach to events we started running festivals because we wanted to have that real connection and we could see what could change when you have a real connection so that was like the groundwork that happened before we had uni and we really learned how you can make things happen when you have a community so when we started uni um it was launched on kickstarter uh, Mm -hmm, back in mm -hmm. 2012 and we could instantly feel the community growing like excited Mm. passion for for pizza and for this 
a, you know, a new category we, we created. So, it, and then just having that authentic relationship with the community built it and built it. And it obviously, I know that this is your interest as well, but like pizza, I think is probably the ultimate bringing people together, social oh, yeah. food. So it's, it lends itself to that on so many levels. People want to have like old school dinner parties, but they want to have them more informally now. And sure come over lean like people literally jumping across their fences to hang out with their neighbors <laughs> and um yeah so uh, uni definitely lends itself to that the way that you can cook you know um i'm preparing the dough but then there's this cute like online community because well the rise of social media and people love to share their beautiful creations and like talk about their guilty. recipes guilty yeah, guilty. Uh, yeah, yeah. so oh, instagrammable yeah. Um, and also their disasters and go like, oh, I, I burnt it. I couldn't believe it was 60 seconds. And also that, guilty. That. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so there's so many layers of community. And when Christian uh, had the original idea for Uni, we had, we lived in London at the time, had a tiny back garden and we just had our first son, Oscar, who's now 12. Um, so like the business has always fitted around our, mm. our family. And that's been a big part of how we've designed Uni and sort of, in terms of our own team, um, we have about 360 people now around wow. the world and very sort of flexible and like ultimately a very uh, community feel about how we approach the business as well. So, yes, I could talk about this for days. It's a really huge part of our focus. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. And, and you're absolutely right, because we've already had this summer getting people together. Let's make some pizza. You bring the chilled drinks. We'll get the dough, the toppings and lay it out. And... There's a few things about the business that I want to talk to in a little bit, but I really want to get into the cooking, like, and the hangs that you've had, because, uh, you know, what I see from online and what I saw again from the cookbook, it just looks like a really good time when you guys get together and cook. So what have you been cooking this summer? And then also, I know you're a super big uh, fan of music. What have you been listening to while you're cooking? Do you have a different, like, prep music? And then, like, when the oven gets going, like, is that a different soundtrack? yeah oh nice um so we have been i'm just back from finland this week where christian's from and actually christian the boys our two children are are still there we cook loads uh um over there and we went to a party of one of our good friends yuka whose wife turned 40 Mm. and he's actually started a business called slice monger so he's one of our ambassadors as well like he's a photographer but he started his own pizza-based business like after finding uni so he was also that was all around food that event um and he cooked pizzas at the end of the night actually his i think eight no 17 year old son was cooking these like new york slice places for everyone at the end of like when we're all a bit drunk that was a really music focusing because he's also He's a musician and um, he has his own stuff. But then his, him and his brother brought back this like special guest appearance of their band, which is called Tiger Bombs. Uh, they're Tampere in Finland, so really tiny random band. And they haven't played for 15 years. So that was like wow. an awesome musical event. It was so great in this um, like a wooden kind of, it's called a cartonal, like a wooden sort of little old house, like, and it felt like a very informal wedding, but it was ever sportive. So incredibly cool, you know, post-pandemic to do those oh gatherings again. It was, and it's, they're so foody in Finland. So it was fantastic. But also like speaking of post-pandemic, like everyone's touching the pizza, everyone's grabbing slices, like everyone's uh, in the gone. mix. Yeah. Before it was like, I'll make you a pizza. You get your own pizza. You said six for me 
and it's fine. But now it's like everyone's in. You sprinkle the sauce, maybe there's some mushrooms and things like that. Um, you know, talking yeah. about all of your travel, like being in Finland and you're in Scotland, and I know you spent time in London. What I've also noticed with you, you've always had either your own garden or an access to a garden. Like there's always been this like very an organic and excuse the pun, but like access to different ingredients and things like that. And I know it changes from wherever you are because, you know, the terroir changes and things like that. But yeah. what has been the importance to you? How much that inspired um, these gatherings and, and the business as well is like knowing that you always had a little garden or sometimes a bigger garden wherever you are in the world. Yeah, we have a really amazing garden here in Edinburgh now, which is mainly fruit. There's grapes and loads of plums now. We're trying to protect our dog who gained a lot of weight last year, just like eating the plum, the Victoria plums as they fell from the tree. Um, our, it's funny you say that because we showed uh, last year we had a big celebration for Uni turning 10. Um, it was 10 years since we launched the Kickstarter. Brought, oh, oh, thank you. And we brought the entire team for all over the world. So, you know, we've got a team in the Philippines and Australia and like mm. I met a lot in America and Germany and all of places. So the whole team together um, and we showed some video footage of our first ever um, uni that we made. And it was so basic and like <laughs> Frankenstein-esque and the pizza looks honestly so crap, but we were so excited because it worked. But yeah. uh, the reason I'm telling you this was because our garden it was like a crack den. <laughs> it was like, it was so dodgy. And our team, we were joking about how bad it was. It was a tiny sort of back garden that like we inherited, we rented that house. We got it like that. And we did turn it around a little bit. But the team, we were joking on stage when we presented this and they were like, no, no, it really does look like that. <laughs> it's not that wholesome. Um, but then, yeah, now it's seasonality in terms of uh, when we're in Finland, Christian's mum, she has a massive garden. We've got a lake at the bottom of her, mm. her garden and forests everywhere. There's a lot of wild mushrooms and foraging and it's really wholesome. They're literally fishing from the lake to, you know, get fish for the pizzas and, or just to roast up on, on cast iron. And then she has like an allotment garden. So, yeah, a lot of courgettes, courgette flowers, obviously mm. basil and herbs so yeah that is my ultimate you know where you can just take things straight from the garden and then cook them up really fast yeah oven. Our, uh, with the heat here our, our garden's touch and go but whenever like the rosemary or something like that is is blossoming i'm always like oh i'll add that to the sauce i feel oh, my totally. green my little green thumb I'm a, I'm obsessed with rosemary it's so funny that you said rosemary because when we got this house it's a lovely house it's from uh, 1711 it was built so very mm. old loads of history and then you we got here and my child uh, youngest boy who was about eight at the time seven at the time went oh thank god there's a rosemary bush was like that's the most middle class thing you could have said <laughs> i was like ah. yes <laughs> like, it's I, I i've taught you i've taught you well um you know speaking you, of the, the kids and and even knowing what a ro- rosemary bush is uh are they in the kitchen with you now? Are they cooking? Have they been like, mom, I, I'll work the oven. Yeah. Dad, I got this. Like, you know, have they started rolling your eyes and you're like, I invented this oven. <laughs> I invented this oven. Um, how much are they getting, rolling up their sleeves and getting in the mix? Yeah, no, they really love it. And they, they made a couple of years ago, they made a little video like called little pizza. Yolos. They, they're Aww. like, I don't know. Most, most children, they they want to have their own YouTube channel. I'm like, no, of you're course. not having that. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, not yet. It's not a yet. brutal world. But they, they, 
yeah they've always made pizzas and yeah they're kind of waiting till they can have their turn and stretch the dough and it, yeah absolutely they absolutely love it you were saying about um music though and one of the things you're to your point about um how everyone's back in interacting yeah, yeah, and not yeah, worried yeah. about covid i remember during the pandemic thinking you know, will we ever go to a pub again and like what will it be mm-hmm. like and then instantly we went to south by southwest and mm. i was like crammed in a in a venue oh, like it was so beautiful like and it was just completely back it, um that week was amazing we had i saw like ezra Furman there for the mm. first time that was one of my favorite songs like playing i love you so bad and then the same week it was dolly parton's first ever south by southwest mm. and we got we were literally at the front of that and then we went to um willie nelson's ranch so those are willie nelson dolly parton are probably my absolute favorite artists ever so we saw them both like in consecutive days um so they play quite a lot in the house and then other stuff that we've been listening to this summer for whatever reason maybe it's just the people catching up with their concerts the live dates that didn't happen oh yeah oh yeah we just we had elton john here and that was really cool so we've been playing that quite a lot and beyonce played and harry styles was here and like yeah just live music again so it's been all quite like big performances of late but yeah that's that feels like it's like stadium time again oh no i i I absolutely feel you i feel like i'm going to a show every other week once a week and and uh there's this connectivity it's so great because like you know the beyonce stuff hasn't come here shows have come here yet and everyone's like Mm -hmm. like i want to peek a little bit what's going on in scotland i want to see a little Mm -hmm. bit but i don't want to ruin it too much and things like that but there's that, I mean, that's the thing is like that connectivity of, of music and food and gathering. It just, it just feels that it's just back. And I missed we it. I don't think it. I realized how oh. much I missed it, you know? Same, same. And it's all at once now. We're like, ah, I was, I was like, why are all these people here? And it was, um, Bruce Springsteen was playing. I didn't go to that, but I was like, I kind of wish I did pick that. Um, but yeah, the Beyonce was funny. The only thing that made me laugh about that was she, she was um doing her like amazing wind machine effect her hair was amazing she was <laughs> yeah. like, this is the first rain i've ever had and then she was playing edinburgh out in the of open course. and she's like this is the first rain on tour it's so refreshing we were like oh for you <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Driving. she yeah, still yeah. looked great she was she fine. still looked great uh yeah <laughs> you're like you could take the rain we get it we get enough um all right i want to take let's take a quick musical break and then when i come back i want to talk about uh, some of the company side, the business side, um, and how environmentalism has been playing a, a big part in, in, in looking forward. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. So 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Darina Garland, co-founder and co-CEO of Uni. And in the first part, you mentioned you had just celebrated your 10-year anniversary last year. And congratulations, but also being a small business, being any business these days that lasts and succeeds and grows in 10 years is an accolade unto itself. But what have you seen as a shift in, in business and in business culture over the last decade, for better, for worse? Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't think uh, we are a small business now. It feels like we hark back to like, can we keep that soul of the startup? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, I guess we're big. We're trying not to be corporate at all as we get bigger. We're, um, so we, I think that lots of stuff is for better, honestly. So that mm. when we started Uni, we always, we I said we came from an education background we wanted to create a company for good we wanted to build it with our team and with the community and then like we did things that we've always done given one percent of our turnover to social and environmental causes mm-hmm. now quite a lot of money and like we you know how can we best use that for essentially sustainability and and saving the world and working <laughs> doing our yeah. part to try and do that and hunger relief is another big part of that because they're kind of obviously that's part of our narrative um, with a food-based company. Um, but we, when we first started doing that, I remember we had a PR who was based in LA, and she was like, "Well, people, you know, it's like it's not really news. It's not, you know, there's Patagonia, there's companies that care about good things." And I was like, "Well, it's fine. We, that's not why we're doing it. We, yeah. it's, that's interesting, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, like it's not for press." But then we saw that our team, as we onboarded more and more people, they, they really cared about that. And yes. now, as you'll probably notice, the consumers really care that you have an authentic um, you know, purpose, first of all, but also you do actually care about that. And so uh, that's been a really nice shift in terms of how people think about organizations and you know, where like ask money gets tighter. Actually, people think more mindfully about how they spend it and they actually do research and you know buying a pizza oven is a considered purchase as much as we've tried to make it as accessible as possible still a considered purchase and yeah. they want to know you know this is a company like they, the reason christian created the, the original unis because we wanted to make great pizza so that that idea spreads like wildfire and having an affordable way to do that at home but then they're like okay how do you care about the planet and we've actually at uni as 10 last year we launched our wild goal of trying to become a regenerative business mm. which ultimately is the the point being that we can't sustain like sustainability is not really a good word because if we just sustain where we're at as a planet like mm-hmm. everything is not going to work so we're trying to work with lots of other organizations and make decisions as a business based on a triple bottom line so thinking about profit planet and people in our decision making and then with regenerative, you actually have to do more good than harm. And, you know, all organizations can, um, it's complicated. You know, the best thing you could probably do is not have a business or not have a child. You know, there's things sure. like that. But no, we're course. looking at how we can use Uni's growth to power good decisions. And, yeah, we recently became a B Corp. That was mm-hmm. the start of this year as part of that journey. And it's great to have. It's actually super, super challenging. But then what's, what can we do more and how can we be a leader in the, the regenerative world? And yeah, and like part of that, you talked about community right at the beginning, like yeah. you, we need the community to help. We need our team to help and be thoughtful about decisions, but also it's such a new 
world. So we're doing things like a lot of carbon removal rather than just carbon offsets. We're doing yeah. a lot of that. We're planted a lot of trees and it seems like our audience, uh, our consumers care about that because it's so tangible, but we're like, we have to do way more than plant 5 million trees. It's like, what else is there? And and that's where we're working now. So we've hired a head of regenerative business. She came from the body shop and she's wow. amazing. So yeah, we're that's that was one of our things that we're trying to change. So I think that's been the biggest change in terms of our business culture. And I think like we've always prioritized. So Christian and I run Uni from the beginning and he's, more product focused and i would say a more team and culture focused we've always put the two things as, yeah, yeah 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 as a like culture and values and our our organization is as important as the innovation and the products we put out so that has been good to see how especially important team members employees they care about that too they want to know that you've got a team that are happy they look at glass door they look at and we can happily say that our that's a huge asset for our, our growth and our team generally. So, but yeah, uh, business has changed. I think it's actually, you're seeing a, more of a divide between organizations that do genuinely care. And I don't think that we're alone at all. There's a lot more purpose driven. And then there's others that you're like, oh, old school. Well, I mean, speaking of that, because sometimes it's just bottom line and, you know, you have these initiatives as long as it works with, you know, the money coming in. But ha- have you made decisions that are better for the environment that yeah. are not as good for the business? I know I know, I read something about like oven trade and things, which obviously is not the, the classic model where it's like, oh, you bought a vacuum cleaner and it broke, we'll buy a new vacuum cleaner. So what are some mm-hmm. of the things that you've done that have maybe been not yeah. as good for the business, but better for the earth? But- loads of things where it look like looking at kind of shipping partners and things mm. that are more expensive when we um renovated our entire offices i think our heating system was about four times more because it was a, a greener option uh, product design like paying more for materials and processes and um, because we know we want to kind of reduce fuel consumption um yeah, creating a company, giving one percent of all money uh, of, of our entire turnover to like innovative causes and looking at how we can best support that. So, but it's it's really topical actually because we've got a regenerative business strategy kickoff meeting next week, mm. and one of those things is like how I mean it started, but it's really now all the leadership are engaged and like how are we, what are the next steps to we've got our plan, how to do it, and. And uh, Kate asked exactly that, like, to what extent do you care about mm-hmm. about the revenue? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to continue to make profit and to invest that in good decisions and have a, a sustainable business in the in the true sense that we can keep on having great place to work and, and you know, designing new products. But we've never started doing to for the money. Like, that is amazing how well it's been doing. Um, the biggest thing now I think that we can do is, keep growing, keep innovating, keep pushing the envelope and designing awesome things, but have a legacy where it's a company that you're actually proud of. And that is definitely going to prioritize planet and people. I mean, going back to what we talked about earlier about, you know, you having a garden, you having these children, you having this community on a personal level, I have to imagine that if you could have a business that could also be good for the earth, it aligns with what you want just as a person and as a mom yeah. and, and as, a, as a friend 
Uh-huh. I, we were saying it, and I think I might ask her to do it, Kate's presentation to our exec team and to our leadership team generally. It was, it's kind of the stuff that you, if you see what is happening, it like once you know, you can't not care. Like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. we have children. And I think like fundamentally, I know you do too. Mm-hmm. You're like, you think about it from their eyes. But like you say, I, I, I honestly defy most people, any people to look at this stuff and not care. I think it's, it's, it's so broken, you know, like using the Earth's resources so much earlier and earlier. And as we j- chatted about before we started recording yeah. the temperature in, oh, in yeah. Europe just now, it's it's real. It's um, And it's such a short timeline. So, yeah, I, it, absolutely. Like, end of the day, um, there's a lot of heart at the heart of uni and we wouldn't want something we weren't proud of and there's clearly there's things you know that we any business leader should think about in terms of impact but yeah I I I can't we can't not do stuff and I think that it's really helpful when you get overwhelmed about how hard the challenges in front of us in terms of climate change and as as a universe not just uni um I feel buoyed by knowing there's lots of other people who are interested too and who are doing stuff that we can learn from and connect with. So that is helpful. Yeah. Well, you know, bringing up leadership and moving away from some of the, like the environmental and the business over the last decade, leadership and approach to running companies has changed so much. You know, there's definitely been um, a reckoning in some places if you want to use that strong of a word of being like, what does it mean to be a leader of a business to people demanding more for the companies on both ways? How have you shifted as a leader and, and, and being that someone looks to and saying, yeah. you know, come join our company and this is what you can expect from a culture and f- from me being at, at the top. Yeah. I, I think that actually that was our business before. And luckily I've been surrounded by some amazing leaders who are, very open and authentic and talk about their challenges. So naturally I'm quite an overshader and I think that you should be yourself. When I started having a coach, actually, we both have a, like an executive coach. I was saying, oh, I wish I was, should I be a bit more alpha because I'm at the top of the business and mm-hmm. like maybe less mm-hmm. collaborative and more decisive. This is what we should do. <laughs> and, um, and Paul basically, yeah, as a good coach does, pushes it back and what do you think? And, end of the day I think that the best leaders are honestly just themselves and so people they really know what we think they know that we prioritize values and culture at the forefront because the way we onboard people and the way that you know we constantly talk and build the community of our our employee network with our team um so I think they they literally can see they get what they they see what they're going to get from day one. We <laughs> yeah, always yeah, say yeah. that. Like, so we're, yeah, we're very open. We have things like we have a Monday huddle with their entire team every week, which oh, a, a lot that. of people think that's unusual for such a, like a big-ish organization. It's a lot of time, but it's to stay connected so that we can update and talk about stuff. And um, we've had massive feedback from people who've come from, you know, all the organizations that come from Dyson, for example, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. awesome places around the world and going, I can't believe how transparent you are with us about, you know, from financial to performance to like the plan to these are decisions we're thinking we're going to make. It's, we're very open. So I think that's how it shifted. And I honestly, I'm, I've always been a bit like that. And I think it's been reinforced. It's the correct way to be because you ha- well, you need to build an adult to adult relationship with your team. They're, they are adults. They're so adults. we want to move. Yeah. yeah. And 
that's how it sort of ties into kind of parenting, doesn't it? <laughs> like thinking about how you want to communicate. But yeah, and we trust people a lot. And I think it pays dividends where you're, if you trust people, you get it back and they want to turn up for work. They've actually, they're not in work just now because we've uh, given everyone summer Friday afternoons off. So that mm. they're all stunning themselves in Edinburgh and elsewhere. Yeah, in that beautiful, <laughs> beautiful uh, summer <laughs> afternoon. I mean, as you trust these people though, and, and, in the transparency and I mean, obviously there's some things that you probably don't share with everyone and, but you are more open than maybe, maybe others. Yeah. Has that allowed you to like stay involved with the business? Cause obviously it started with you guys like building this oven from like a welder down the street, just the two of you in your yeah. backyard to now having hundreds of employees all over the world. Like, has that let you, allowed you to let go of things and then focus on other things and look at the future because yeah. you're like, I'm honest with you. I trust you. There's a reciprocity. And so I can let go yeah. of some stuff that I would have maybe never imagined five years ago of letting go of. Yeah. So, so much. Actually, weirdly, we're just having a conversation about this. Like, because there was a week left last week, I was, we were on holiday and then I messaged Andrew, who's our CFO and said, you know, you're the only executive working today. And it was Friday morning. And he was like, am I? And then he was like, I'm actually not even there. Uh, I'm not in. Uh, he was having lunch with his wife who just was about to give birth and she did now. Um, oh. So, yeah, and we were like, oh, it's cool. Like, we have a, a brilliant team. So, I, like I said, I'm incredibly trusting. I think it is a good lesson to learn early as a leader that obviously people are going to do things differently from how you do. But as long as you've got really kind of clear narrative in terms of the big stuff and the values and your vision and your mission and, like, how you do things that you have to trust and also one of the things like we've never done it before like that's we, i think mm. that the humbleness of uh, genuine humbleness of going okay so we've never run a 200 million dollar or pound plus company before uh but here we are and <laughs> we think these things work and yeah. um and a lot what happened during the pandemic actually we did quite a big hiring spree during the la those years mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we brought in people who really had that expertise like middle level people and some really senior people who've really done it before in different organizations which mm -hmm. brought such a different richness so yeah like and you know we, like, you might disagree but then it's I think it's really rare that we disagree and if you do then what one thing I've learned is like you can be consultative in terms of like hearing what people's point of view and as long as you communicate why you've made a decision that works if there's any disagreement but yeah we we definitely have a, a strong team and then they know that i mean people have you read um dan pink's book drive about what motivates people mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. like they need to feel that engagement and empowered to do stuff like why else would you have a job um or like a job that you really care about so getting people to that place as soon as possible where they actually can action stuff and have autonomy. And so, and then they reinvest a lot in people's talent. So we're doing a, a our theme for the year is called, it's all about you. And that mm. is trying to find out where people want to take their career over the next kind of two or three years, whether it's at uni or not, usually is We've got really good retention because <laughs> they're smart. Um, but then like, okay, what, what do you need to do? There's dual sided because we were like, 
I want people to take responsibility for their own career development. No one else will do it. But of course, we can help fund stuff and support opportunities and make time and space for it. But so it's like, it's been amazing. So then they, they did the survey. Then they have an interview with someone from our people team and talk about it. Basically, no one stops to think. And I read this article years ago, and I think it was Harvard Business Review, that big organizations, they very rarely hire the next CEO from within because you need to start training for those positions like three years before. You need to be stopping and thinking, how do I get there? So I don't think everyone will be the CEO, but like if they, what ambition is one of our values? So like if you want to build your own career, you have to build that breathing space to go like where, how do I take it? How can I um, actually design it? And is there that opportunity here and be honest about it? So it's, that's been wildly um, helpful in terms of teams sort of self-awareness, but also us getting to grips with like, okay, this is for what they want and this is their specific talent and interest in the business that's helped design the future. Mm. Well, if Uni was one of those employees, what's uh, Uni's three to five year plan of growth? Personal, professional, you know, is it going to get into uh, knitting well, you know, like that. Oh, and new products. Yeah. I think that one of the things, so innovation is another one of our um, values. So we've got five values, kindness, passion, ambition, rigor. What was the last one? Innovation, ambition, kindness, passion. Have I said them all? So innovation <laughs> is is clearly, you know, the category was created, an idea that didn't exist, how to make better pizza in your home oven, how to make it affordable, idea launched so it's part of our dna but making sure that we are not completely tied into like mm-hmm. one strategy so actually only yesterday we were talking about making sure there's that perimeter for beyond and what else there is like we um so i can't i don't want to say too much but i think that making sure that that is a hugely important part of our brand thinking that a team knows that so you know like years ago i remember an accountant that we worked with was like you, we could just keep releasing this product it's freaking money spinner like uni mm-hmm, two or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that made sense and i kind of like it, um what's the word keep tweaking it and like incremental ben- like changes but that's never how we've tried to operate in fact we launched often like a tech company you know trying to keep on pushing envelope so making sure that that happens and and one of the things that i do feel that has happened a little bit um is that as we've got a bit bigger things have got slower and clunkier so um and like years ago someone said um oh as you go from 50 to 100 people you'll lose your culture and i was like oh that's interesting okay so we're gonna prioritize it so we don't like and work on that and talk to people about it and make sure that it's at the forefront and it's a bit like now i don't think as you become a bigger organization you need to lose that startup joy and passion and like agility so bringing that back and going, you know, just because we have 50 odd people in that department doesn't mean we can't have like fluidity and like quick ideas and like what what actually works is often quite a simple and low budget thing. That's a Scottish thing coming in there. But like we, Trish and I both trained in photography. So we have a high standard of what is put out, but it also doesn't have to be, you know, like cinema level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... Um, I think that the future of any will be definitely focusing on regenerative business, definitely leaning into innovation, making sure that we bring, keep as much agility and like 
empower the team and invest in the team, we probably won't be hiring as many people at the rate that we've been hiring of late, mm. which is actually quite exciting because it means that we can go, okay, we've got our... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got the team. We got the team. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, that's a full-time job in itself. You know? oh and, um, so that, I think, very, very excited about it. And, you know, the ambition of just the regenerative business thing is absolutely huge and exciting and exhilarating, but also a wee bit daunting. Um, and then so thinking about the fuels for our products in the future, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that that is important. We've just released our uh, first electric product, electric oven, the Univolt, which is really, really exciting. And so yeah, awesome. what's next? Awesome. Well, listen, congratulations. I'm so excited that we got a chance to talk and sit down. Thank you. Uh, I also wanted to say that part of the cookbook that I loved, that it felt like very much like a photo album, like on like a from like a summer holiday or well, I mean it was all seasons but you know it was like oh, yeah. like oh this is so nice to spend time with the family so it was so nice to sit down and spend time with you oh thank you um, yeah we need yeah. to do a new one no, oh yeah, yeah 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 well we we shot that with our photographer friends and like, we definitely wanted it to be like a beautiful coffee book as well it's like like through the oh yeah the story um, thank you so much for reading course. it and for the time I want to see your pizza pictures uh i'll send it to you i'll send it i'll send it over to to jacqueline uh i'll text it to her Uh, my first i feel um i have i have like my first one came out really good and then i got cocky and uh like overloaded the second one and did a impromptu calzone which was like still tasty but not pretty yeah emergency calzone is is the way forward yeah um well people want to follow along see what you're up to uh, with your regenerative business model or just order an oven or get a pizza yeah. peel or the yeah. doughs are pretty good too. The, the pre-mixed stuff is, is great. Yeah. We'll as well. some, and frozen dough and lots of accessories. Yeah. It's all on uni.com. So O-O-N-I.com. And then that's our social handle is UniHQ. And then threads now. Threads is a thing. Oh yeah. Threads. We've got Instagram. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and YouTube. So everything is O-O-N-I.com. Yes, and I will say I've I've used the YouTube videos to oh, to, cool. to help help me on my journey. Uh well big thank you to Jacqueline and the whole team for helping set this up. We have another live song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. She's got a lot for us She can't go home too quick Wolf's hungry, he hasn't eaten all day Follow her, she's getting away She knows she's got no time to
robbed your house But you're too slow and he's got out That giant's got one big bone to pick And oh, she's in the forest And oh, she's coming for us Super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Rose. Hey. Hi. Good hey. to see you. Great to see it's you. It's been a long time. It's been a really long time. I was just saying to Matt earlier that I don't remember how or when exactly we met, but I know it was a long time ago and it was in New York somewhere. Yeah. Summertime. I, ju- I think that maybe? anything that's like longer than eight or nine years, I just attribute to around. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also to having a, a twin brother, mm-hmm. um, both, uh, either together or singularly generally was out seven days a week forever. So yes. we just know everyone. Yes. But good to see you. Yeah. I always find it amazing when I reach out to bands I like, like yours, mm-hmm. uh, and be like, Oh Wow. I know the people behind them. I, I know that person. <laughs> so your band. My band. Is really great. Thank you so much. And it's really interesting because a lot of your lyrics, Primo, have to deal with the kind of intersectionality of things of not being so black and white and living in the gray. Mm-hmm. How did you evolve into this mindset and how do you run your lyrics through the filter of being in the gray? That's a good question. I don't know that I have ever experienced life as black and white, though I've been in many scenarios in which 
external forces want it to be. Uh, and so I think there's a there's like a constant narration that's happening in my head to just try to figure out how to how to live it um, and how to try to walk those lines. And then the result is a lot of the lyrics come from a stream of consciousness place that I then have to go edit mo- many, 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 many times. Once they come out, like how many revisions do the lyrics have to go through? Oh, countless. I can't tell you how many. <laughs> is, is it a point where your band members are like, you know, 25 is good, Rose. You're like, you're like, you know what? I really think on 37, that's when we're really going yeah, to yeah, get right. to it. Lucky number 37. Uh, do they continue to evolve after they're recorded? Um, you know what? I, I have a, I feel a certain loyalty to the, to the actual like recorded fact. So once it gets to that point, I really try to not mess with it too much. Uh, I can't think of an occasion in which I changed it after the fact. But the meaning might evolve or they might mean different things to you. The meaning will constantly evolve. And I think I'm glad that I, I feel, uh, true to a belief that I think once the song is out there, and it's being received by anybody else. It's no longer my meaning. My association no longer has meaning. It's what is you, the audience, is receiving. But when you're on stage singing, I mean, there yeah. is some meaning that is to you of the time in which you laid it down. Does it take you back into that? Mi- Does it always put you back to that mindset? Yeah, actually. So I think I think we were connected first, Snacky Tunes, via Jamie Fry. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Jamie Fry, I met Jamie Fry years ago. He saw a like a basement show that we played down in like Bensonhurst or something. And he wrote a review of Prima and he mentioned psychodrama in the review, which is something that I had never thought of before. And it was just one of those great occasions of like someone kind of like calling you out on something or you finally giving you the language to talk about what you're doing. I have pictured countless um exes, lovers, peop- like points of contention, like out in the crowd while I'm singing the song. And that is something that does change from time to time. Something that's, Sometimes the song starts about one person and then suddenly it, it's about somebody else. There's never been an instance where you're imagining someone and they're actually in the audience, is there? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say. <laughs> you, we, don't, we don't name names, but we need to hear stories. Uh, yeah, that, that may have happened. That may have happened. Did you know? Did you know they were in the audience when you started singing, and then you saw them? Yeah, yeah. There was definitely a time where I was very frustrated with a situation, and also an individual. That individual certainly happened to be there. And I remember, after the fact, the individual said to me, "Wow, I've never seen you so angry." <laughs> did they know that the song was about them? I think they figured it out. This is like the most uh, vague. Specific story I think we've ever heard. <laughs> you use like pronouns and non-descriptors. Mm-hmm. What was this? What was the song? At, at least the name of the song. The song is called Master. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. And the oh, and there is a lyric in the song um, in which I say, "Just like you, buddy, I am faking it." Wow. Yeah. Did they just go sit down when the song was over <laughs> or do, were they just like pounding whiskey in the back or did they just take the shame, the shaming, the secret shaming oh. and just stood there and enjoyed the rest I of the show? No, I hope that they got something out of it somehow. Maybe one day if they haven't already. I don't know. Maybe they feel flattered. I wrote about them, you know? I mean, I guess it always depends the context. I, be- <laughs> I, I mean, I guess if you're like a narcissist, it doesn't really matter the context of the song. <laughs> it's just that a song was written about you <laughs> at all. Yeah. Some people, some people are like going for that, man. And and I know that the band has been around for a few years now. Has the 
has the gray become more gray as you've had had access to an outlet and lyrics and like the defining and you know the, the middle become more middling the middle well yeah yeah i mean i think in terms of just like a like an intellectual evolution like the gray feels more and more relevant all the time right what's what's a good example well politics like any well like what isn't political right but um i don't know like sexuality for instance i feel like in my like in my early years there was a lot of black and white being taught to me and i wasn't ever able to like live with it completely and so at first it felt like a battle right which is what i think a lot of the early premium material is about um and now it's just like okay well like sexuality gender I don't, like even like h- how you like live your life financially, how you how you have integrity. I don't know. As I get older and as I grow, it just seems like the, like black and white almost seems like a fallacy. Like it doesn't. Like, yeah, I mean, illusion. it just it just seems like something that's written down on paper. Yeah. I mean, I struggle with the black and white, and that that's never been. It's never all or nothing. Yeah. Even though you sometimes feel that it is, it it never is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it can be really useful in certain periods, in certain moments. It's like, you're detaining children at the border. That's fucking wrong. Yeah, that's, that's very clear. That's pretty black and that's white. That's very clear. Yeah, and so, like, there is utility, but I find that a lot of times, in t- especially in terms of, like, personal life and inner life, uh, it's just, it's all, it's great. And a lot of your lyrics also do with feminine energy and the explosion of it. <laughs> and I'm curious about living in... <laughs> Living in the living in the middle of like what it means to be a feminist today and how that in, influences your work and and how that impacts the the stage performance and and what you say. Yeah, I mean, I'm like I feel like I'm a self-proclaimed like survivor of internalized misogyny. You know, like I there's there's I've I absorb so much self-hate. And that is still something that I, I expect to, like, kind of grapple with my whole life. And I do recognize that that comes from, like, multitude of outside sources that I have been permeating and growing, shifting for years and years. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's almost like I feel like the music that I'm creating is just, it's just like an ongoing inner monologue of coming up against these things and figuring out how I feel about them. So, and I'm, I am a woman. I identify as a woman. She, her. Yeah, that's me. So like this, it's through my lens and I'm a lady. I'm a lady. So yeah, I don't know. I I can't imagine it otherwise. I don't think I've ever written a song from the perspective of a man. Mm. And I will say lately I've been prioritizing like my interest in female perspectives. And I like that there's more and more of them. Um, I never felt like a minority as a person in the world or as a musician, but the the more I look around, the more I see that uh, women are underrepresented, but I see that it's a growing population, and it's really exciting, and it's really cool. And I, I definitely am biased. I'm like, want to know what women are talking about. Can we hear a song? Yeah, let's see. What are you going to play for us first? I'm going to play Alter. I'm going to play Alter. This is a new song. Great. Yeah. Here we go. Prima, live on Snacky Tunes.
you mentioned that you're now prioritizing the female perspective. How has Prima changed you as a person and a lyricist since its conception? Well, Prima gave me an outlet to speak and tell stories, and before then, I hadn't had one. So, uh, yeah, it's it's. I feel like it's made me a better person <laughs> to have a creative outlet. Um, there's a place that I can go to put uncomfortable feelings, vulnerability, anger, passion, things that don't necessarily always belong in certain <laughs> circumstances. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, not to, like, make a case for music as therapy, but, like, it definitely has... Uh, it's brought a lot of people into my life. Uh, it's made a better life for me. Where was it before Prima? <laughs> uh, uh, before Prima, it was a tangle of trying to figure out how to meet other people's expectations and uh, uh, win approval of other folks. This was the first time I created a space for me. And how would the, I mean, Prima, it's just you today, but there's two other band members. Yeah. How have they influenced it and how have, they br- how have their perspectives kind of helped shape the outlet and the output of the work? Well, I've been super, super blessed to work with a bunch of different musicians in the context of this project. Um, and so, like, every person along the way has, like, shifted my gaze radically, whether it was Butch Marigoni, who was the first drummer I ever played with, who was just, like, such an intense physical creature that, like, I went from having these, like, little, like, do-do-do songs to just being like, oh, my God, I can, like, I can roar physically in every way through these instruments and through my voice. And he, he like, he elevated me to a whole other space, right? I feel like we all need someone to teach us how to roar. Yeah. Or give us permission, like a good balance where someone's just like, you can roar. Right. You got this. And right? you're like, oh my God, I can be so much louder. Yeah. Oh yeah. Isn't there like a form of therapy, like primal scream therapy or something? If, I mean, sure. <laughs> if there isn't, then it's been done. <laughs> yeah. Or that like very bad scene from Garden State where they just scream yeah. into the void. I mean, have you ever screamed into the void? I don't know if I can ever consciously say that I've screamed into the void unless it's been just like I've lost my keys at the end of a drunk night. But that's like that's not the same. (laughs) Have you screamed into the void? I've screamed a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember once this city, this city, this. Can I curse on this show? This motherfucking city was getting me so like out of my mind one winter. I was like so cooped up and crazy feeling. I remember it was like there was snow all over the ground. It Pre was Prima, no outlet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is this is what I had to do before Prima. Put on my running shoes in the snow, ran over the Williamsburg Bridge, yelling the whole time. Like there wasn't like I got to the top and I stopped and I screamed Garden State style. I was just running and screaming. Yeah. And like no one. And I was like, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Well, does I mean. <laughs> no, it does. Doesn't it, totally, it make sense? It does. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine that like nine people be like, what the fuck? And one person be like, I want to date yeah. that girl. <laughs> I want her in my life. Yep. Maybe, <laughs> I saw this woman running on the bridge screaming and I must find her. Wait, shit, man. Maybe I should do it again and see if it attracts a lover. <laughs> <laughs> Loves running, screaming on the bridge. Yes. <laughs> Not yes. at the apex no. the entire time. <laughs> 
That's pretty good lung capacity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you got to train, you right? Train. <laughs> so you mentioned your first drummer who gave you the permission to roar. What about the other bandmates? Um, so I I worked for a period of time with a guitarist named Jessica Ackerley, who like exposed me to a world of um, jazz guitar and just like more experimental, more daring guitar playing. Um, and that really like opened my eyes to the possibilities of the guitar rather than just like duh, duh, power chord, power chords, like building a song, but not thinking about the actual notes being played. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then I've like, I've always, since I worked with Jessica, I've always loved working with jazz guitarists cause they're nerds, man. And they're <laughs> real good at what they do and they practice all the time and they're so smart. Um, so I've played with a guy named Frank Rathbone, who has a band called Sick Tick. Right now I'm playing with this woman, uh, Katie Bonastoni, who is a beast, and she's amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's the other wonderful thing about being a songwriter, is you get to like keep on collaborating with the coolest people, and then they become part of you know, a family. Can we hear another song? Yeah. What are you going to play for us? I'm going to play a song called Susan. Um, which I feel I need to preface by saying I have lifted these lyrics from the journals of Susan Sontag. And uh, I don't know that I have permission to do that, but I have contextualized them in a mood, which is the song. I've named it after her. It's for her. Um, I think as long as you cite your sources... It's totally fine. Right? I haven't I haven't recorded or released this song yet. I feel like maybe when I cross that bridge, I will figure out how legal this is. But until then, I'll just play the song. Um, and it might give things away a little bit, but this was from an entry uh, in her journals from before she uh, left her husband and came out as a lover of women.
But for the kisses, for the kisses, for the kisses, for the You have some new events coming up yeah. that are going to be salon style that talk about the intersection of poetry and music. Yes. Will it be live performances and live poetry reading or will it be more about theory and form and how they intersect? It's going to be, it's, it's going to be both. Uh, I, no. Hi folks. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a little fishbowl. Mm-hmm. People eating pizza. Yeah. We're, All the time. Yeah. 10 yeah. years of people watching us. So, or us watching them. Does it feel, is it comfortable for you now at this yeah. point? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <this> point, yeah. <laughs> the best is when little kids come up and like run in the window. Oh yeah. yeah. I would, I wish I could like, they can't hear us, can they? No. no. Okay. Yeah. I could, uh, could play them a song. Uh, the, the salon style moment, uh, is going to be happening with the sound shop community. It's this rad group of um well it's led by a a Yale alum who's super super into all sorts of kinds of music he loves bringing different musicians together to just have moments of performance and then conversation amongst like colleagues maybe you never knew you never realized you had so um his name's Ock and I got together with him and decided that music and poetry and the intersection of how that plays out uh, in different types of forms would be a really fun thing to explore in a evening. So we're going to have uh, musicians who are heavily like conscious of poetry and their songwriting. And then I think we're also going to have a couple of poets read um, with some improvised music happening at the same time. So it's, and it should be full of conversation, which I'm hoping to like spark and also like be witness to because these are like, questions I think about all the time that I don't have any I, I don't think that there's any answers to any questions about the intersection of music and poetry I mean <laughs> they're, they're so aptly joined is there a, a specific feeling or intention you want people to walk away with at the end of these series of events not how it'll happen but just an emotion or uh I'm hoping that I in this moment I can create a moment for people where they feel like there might be some like brethren around like, Oh, here are some more nerds who are interested in like the same things that I am, you know? Uh, because I feel a lot of times when I'm in the, in the like DIY rock community, Brooklyn music community, um, I find myself surrounded by people that I see as like really talented musicians and musicians, musicians and people who have been studying music their whole life, playing music their whole life. And I came to music through a more circuitous route of studying writing first. So I feel like sometimes I'm a writer's musician and sometimes I'm feeling like lonely. I'm like, where are my people? So maybe it's just a self-serving opportunity for me to try to meet some, make some friends. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, but I feel like anytime I meet someone, a songwriter, like Katie, for instance, who's uh, 
playing guitar in Prima right now. She has her own project called Katie the King, and she's she's hyper-involved in a, like, poetic process. And meeting her and hearing her work was just so heartwarming to me. I'm like, oh, there's someone else who is thinking about this stuff. So, so weird to feel alone in the city. I mean, when are you not feeling alone in the city? There are times. Really? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I guess. How do you, how do you not feel alone? What, what makes you feel less alone? Well, the people yeah. in your life. Yeah. Um, and also I think just finding community, like I guess existing a part of like heritage or the work that I do or just right. friendship. Yeah. I, know, I feel like when you move here, it's very lonely. I think like the city is isolating in the day to day. Yeah. But I think that you, there are more connections here than I would say in other cities that I've been to. Well, right. And I heard, I know that your brother moved to LA. Mm -hmm. you, this criticism of New York that you're raising is exactly the criticism that I hear of LA all the time. Like it's one of the most alienating, lonely places unless you have folks who can like pull you into the fold. Right. Is like, How's he doing out there? He's great. He just had a... Well, he and his wife, she did a lot of the work. <laughs> she, did a, she did most of the work. He was there in the beginning. Um, but, he, you know, they just had a baby girl and oh, baby. happy and just, you know, settled in. So. Oh, so your uncle. Uncle. Oh. Yeah. So, But then they have a good community. But I, I don't know. I think that in this, particularly in New York, it, it takes a while to find the people that you connect with. Yeah. But when you do, they've also had like a similar struggle to be like... So when you meet them... It's like, oh my gosh, it's like we've known each other for two minutes and ten years. Yeah, yeah. Even though you've just met, because like in the same way that you just said you met Katie, it's like, wow, I've just been doing my thing. And then when you meet, you're like, I understand your entire language and, yeah, and being. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so nice. The city, the city is so beautiful and it's so full of so many people. And I think a lot of times it's also like, it's intense and it's exhausting and you might feel the need to like protect yourself. But whenever you do go out and branch out, you, I mean, we're a city of misfits. So many people have fled here from so many other places. So many people grew up here and are like sticking it out here. It's just, there's so many people here. There's so many people to befriend and get along with and do things with. And just, I don't know. I'm such a hermit. I want to be at home, like reading books and writing songs. And if I do too much of that, I'll go, I'll go nuts. I have to, yeah, it's like an effort to make myself go it out you have to live in the middle I have to live in the middle of the gray thank you for joining us we thank you we want to make sure we have time for one more song but where can people find you listen to your work watch your videos which are super rad as well <laughs> and really fun <laughs> um, and find out about your salons um band camp continues to be the place that i i post music love, new love music band camp yeah right they're the best can't go wrong with it no, they're, they're the doing they're they're doing the best work yeah. so band camp is always a great uh tool for me and a great place to go prima.bandcamp.com i also tend to post uh weird somewhat illicit videos on occasion on my instagram and that is also a place that i'm sharing information so that is at prima sounds like uh but otherwise, yeah, um, stay tuned. There's going to be a new record and lots of fun stuff happening later this year and early next year that I don't feel totally privy to speak to. That's fine. But those are two places that people could go to find out more. And hear Perfect. More. Yeah. Well, big thanks to uh, Christopher Cronin for coming on and talking about his new cookbook. And thank you for listening. We'll be back with next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes. What's the name of the last song? Name of the last song, and this is the newest song, is called The Witness. Perfect. Yeah.
We'll see you all next week. to say I wouldn't wish it upon a soul But some of us have earned a little more Cosmic judgment or whatever you call it
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Snacky tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.